So as we get started, I got a picture to show you and a question to ask you. Uh, whose freezer looks this organized? I'm saying kind of sarcastically, I might be saying that in sort of a jaded way, right? Whose freezer looks that organized? But I know there's a couple of you sheepishly thinking, I do that. <laughs> Good job. I'm, that's awesome. I'm glad you're so um, organized and, and um, on top of it, and I'm glad that you can actually <clears throat> find things in your freezer. Who has a full freezer this time of year? Is it, just, is it just us or anybody else with a full freezer? How many people have two full freezers right about now? What, what's in there? Anybody, uh, anybody else canning? Canning? We got a lot of dehydrating going on at our house. We got a lot of jamming going on a lot at our house. What else is filling up those freezers? Dead animals? You, whole cows? Things that were hunted? You heard uh, Christy up here a few minutes ago describing our, our church family. So, yeah, I know those freezers are full of that. But um, what are we doing when we put food in the freezer? What, what are we trying to do? Preserve it. Why do we need to preserve food? Okay, because it will go bad. It will rot. We can't eat it all at once. So when we're preserving it so that we can do what? Enjoy it. Again later, continue to enjoy it so that the food stays the same, so that the quality of the food is the same and we can enjoy it later. Um, we, we, we do that so we can. We dehydrate. We, we jam. We, we freeze stuff. And I just, I, I'm all for it. I'm stoked that Amy is, is doing all this fun stuff with food. I just wish I could find something in the freezer that I was looking for. <laughs> so we have two full freezers, and I think we're going to get a third. But we're in a series of messages on Sunday morning that we've entitled, This Changes Everything. And, and here's where I'm going with this freezer stuff and this preserving stuff. is As we study uh, God's Word, as we study the book in our Bible called Galatians these few weeks, uh, I am thankful that we see here in this letter that the Apostle Paul, a church leader, the writer of this letter, I think I am very thankful that the Apostle Paul was passionate about preserving the truth of the gospel, keeping the truth of the gospel protected, preserved, so that we could continue to enjoy it, right? So that it would continue to come to people and generations and more people, that it would come to them in truth and preserved in its power and in the glorious fact that the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus changes everything for us. And so we see this morning that the, go that the gospel was preserved, that, that, that Paul knew the importance of, of preserving the gospel. So you with me in Galatians chapter 2? Keep your finger in the Bible. That's what we do here is we want to hear from God through the word. So we're in Galatians chapter 2, and I'll start reading at verse 1. Then after 14 years, I, Paul, went up again to Jerusalem. So we're going to talk about this later. Why is he, we're going to talk later about why is he coming to Jerusalem? Why are these guys traveling to Jerusalem? I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Verse 2, I went up because of a revelation, and I set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, I set before them the gospel that I proclaim, the gospel that I've been teaching among the Gentiles or the non-Jewish people. I set before them the gospel that I proclaim in order to make sure 
that I was not running or had run in vain. Paul often uses this analogy of, of running a race, and he's saying, hey, I, I don't want to run this race for no reason. I don't want to run this race and not have it go where God wants it to go. And what's he talking about here? Why is he saying this? We, if you were here with us last Sunday, we talked about these false teachers that are coming into these churches, into these Christians, and, and teaching false a false gospel, something that's not the good news of Jesus, something that they've twisted and distorted the good news. These false teachers are messing with Paul's ministry, and they're distorting the good news of Jesus. And so when Paul writes what, he just, what we just read in verses 1 and 2, when Paul says, I came to these leaders, I came to Jerusalem, I came to these Christian leaders, I came to make sure that I'm not running the race in vain, he's not questioning the truth of the message. Paul is confident in the truth of the gospel, what makes the good news the good news. He's not coming to check with these other leaders if he's right. He's coming for solidarity, for unity on the message, because he knows that if these false teachers are allowed to continue to disrupt and to, to cause the message to rot, cause the message to diminish, and not be preserved, if he allows these false teachers, these intruders to keep doing that, then, then his ministry will be less effective, people won't hear the good news, people will be enslaved to something other than life in Jesus. So he comes to these leaders for, for not for approval, but for unity. Let's agree, guys, what's the message? That's what he's doing. Verse 3, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised Though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that, here it is, so that the truth of the gospel might be what? Might be preserved. For you, this glorious good news of Jesus, it's powerful, it's effective, it's life-changing, it changes everything, it brings life. We've got to preserve it and make sure the message is clearly transmitted. So we did not yield to these false teachers so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So what's going on here with Titus? Why does Paul have Titus in tow? This non-Jewish Christian, he's brought Titus along almost like a, like a test case. Let's figure out what's, what's going into being a Christian and what's not required for a Christian. Here's my buddy Titus. He's proof. I think Paul is bringing him along as proof of the, of the transformative nature of the gospel and what is required to follow Jesus and what is not. Because these false teachers were bringing in this false gospel that that Titus was not truly saved, he wouldn't be fully, affected by, uh, fully accepted by God unless he followed Jesus and, in this case, their argument is circumcision. See, God's people, uh, when God in the Old Testament part of our Bible made a covenant arrangement with his people and he began his rescue plan, the whole Bible is the story of God rescuing a people for himself, for his glory. And when God first made this covenant 
with his people. It was the Jewish people, the people of Israel. And, and part of the arrangement, this covenant agreement between God and, and his people was the sign of circumcision, that, adult male, that, that males would be circumcised as a sign of being set apart as God's people, as a sign of this agreement between God and his people. And so now... The gospel message is spreading. The good news of Jesus is going outside of the Jewish people and to non-Jews like you and I. The Bible calls Gentiles here in this passage. And that's a good thing that the message of Jesus is spreading. And people are finding new life in Jesus. They've given their life to following Jesus. But now these false teachers are going, great, follow Jesus. And you got to obey all these rules the Jewish people obey, and you got to eat like the Jewish people eat, and you got to get circumcised like the Jewish people get circumcised. Basically, these false teachers, these intruders are saying, the good news is follow Jesus, and you got to be Jewish. And Paul is bringing along Titus, and he's saying, look at this guy. Look at my buddy Titus. He's been changed by Jesus. He is, he is following Jesus. He has been rescued by Jesus. He has been taken out of darkness and into the light. He has crossed over from death to life. He is saved. His life is being changed. He is being made new from the inside out. My buddy Titus is absolutely a Christian, Paul is saying. And you know what? He doesn't need to be circumcised. And over behind him, Titus is going, whew. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate your argument. That's really good logic. The debate was that the, the debate, the question was, is, is the gospel for all people or do you have to become Jewish to be a follower of Jesus? The question, the debate at the heart of this, of this letter, what Paul is responding to is, is salvation is being rescued by God something that God does through Jesus or is it only is salvation is being truly accepted by God is being truly loved by God only for those that follow Jesus and dot 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 fill in the blank whatever whatever that was the debated question these false teachers want Titus to be circumcised in addition to but Paul makes it clear and rejects that. That is not the gospel. It is not Jesus plus anything. It is salvation through Christ alone. And so this is why we, we need to preserve the gospel. It's to not let it rot. To not let it decay. To not let it get freezer burn. And lose its power. And lose its truth. We have to preserve the gospel. So what is the, the, the core of the gospel? What is gospel truth? We talk about this all the time. The gospel, the good, the good news is that God rescues sinners. And you know why that's good news? Because you and I fall into that category. Apart from him, we go against God. We're in rebellion against God. We, can't, we don't match up. We can't live lives that are pleasing to God. So the darn good news is that God rescues sinners. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And last week I showed you this, and I'd like you to read it aloud again. Here's another way of thinking about the gospel. Let's read this one aloud together. Go. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Is that good news? 
Jesus, the God-man, fully God, fully man, died on the cross in our place, paying the penalty for our sins, the penalty that you and I deserve. Three days later, he rose again, conquering sin and death and giving us God's grace gift of salvation to all who trust in him alone, not him plus something else. Friends, the gospel, the good news is that our loving heavenly father made a way for we who were dead in our sins to be made alive again through Jesus Christ. That God made a way for us who were children deserving of wrath to become children of God. Worth preserving? A message worth preserving, faith? But that good news was under fire. Why is Paul writing this letter? Because that good news was under fire. Some wanted Titus to jump through more hoops. Following Jesus wasn't good enough. You got to do this and you got to follow that and you got to be more like me and you got to follow the crowd and you got to be religious and you got to try and earn. The good news was under fire. And if we're not careful, some of us will accidentally put these other, these other hoops, these blanks, fill in the blanks on our friends and family that need Jesus. Let's not accidentally spread the message that it's Jesus plus such and such. Let's spread the good news that they can't be saved on their own. Let's spread the good news that it's Jesus alone, that it's a gift of God. Because the Bible teaches this, Ephesians 2, it's on the screen. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, by grace. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, your salvation, your being made right with God, being truly accepted by God, being fully a Christian. This is not your doing. It is the gift of God. And, and as if he hadn't already made it clear, he says it again, not as a result of work, not as a result of trying, not as a result of earning or meriting or matching up or being a good person or behaving or performing or checking off boxes of I did this and I did that and I... Not as a result of works, so that we cannot boast. It's not about what we do, it's about what Jesus has already done. The gospel changes everything. The good news of Jesus changes everything. And how, so how does it change everything? Well, one thing we see in our passage today that is a glorious truth, and we're going to see this more in Galatians. One way that, that the gospel changes everything is it brings freedom. But verse 4 talks about our freedom in Jesus. And it talks about the fact that the false teachers wanted to draw us back into slavery. The false teachers wanted to get us stuck under rule following and, and trying to earn and trying to match up and being evaluated and, and being in that sense of slavery. But we see in verse 4 that there is freedom in following Jesus. And this freedom, as I said, is going to be a theme through, our, through the book of Galatians. We're going to talk about freedom more as we cover future chapters. We are free from the law. Now, if we're not careful, where do, how do we take that? I am free from the law. I am not under law. So if we're free from the law, then I can do whatever I want and disregard God's laws? Hmm. Is that what freedom in Christ is? 
Here's what freedom in Christ is, is the false teachers want you to obey the Ten Commandments. God wants you to obey the Ten Commandments. The false teachers, the intruders, the ones trying to put you under slavery, want you to obey the Ten Commandments. Pastor Derek wants you to obey the Ten Commandments. One side asks you to obey to earn your salvation. To be, to be rescued by God. To be fully accepted by God. The other side wants you to obey the Ten Commandments because we love God and are thankful for what he's done. And because he's working in our lives and because as he works in our lives and changes us from the inside out, we want to obey and please and follow him. You with me? Freedom in Christ is not freedom from God's moral standards. We are still under God's moral right and wrong as a good way to live. That is how we ought to live. So the Bible has much to teach us about God's moral standards and what is right and wrong and, and what is the best way to live and honor him with our lives. But, but as we live and obey, it's not, how we, it's not to earn our salvation. That's such an important distinction church family, we, are not, we do not obey God in fear or insecurity because we have to earn our salvation. We obey God in the freedom of thankfulness that we have been rescued from sin and death and are being made new. Is this a critical message to preserve? It's critical to preserve the truth of the good news because gospel truth brings salvation, which brings freedom, which brings life. And so let's get back to our passage and why are we preserving the gospel. Verse 5, we'll redo that one. To them, to these false teachers, to these intruders, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, these other church leaders he went to meet with, even those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Even those who seemed to be influential added nothing to me. Paul went to these church leaders, told them the gospel that he proclaims, the good news of salvation through Christ alone, and the leaders added nothing. And so we, like Paul and those early Christian leaders, we must not add anything to the gospel. So we got to preserve it. So we got to protect it. So we got to put it in the freezer. So we got to make sure that nothing, that nothing distracts or distorts or causes it to decay. And be lost. So how do we preserve gospel truth? We can't put it in the freezer. Can we? We can put our food in the freezer. How do we preserve the gospel? Well, I think we, like Paul, need to first of all preserve the, the character, the integrity of the message itself. And not allow things that are not gospel to be treated like gospel. We don't let things that are non-essential become essential. We protect the core of the gospel. And how do we do that? How do you become more gospel fluent? This is a phrase from this book by Jeff Vanderstelt, where we're, we're kind of talking about this in these few weeks as well. How do we as followers of Jesus become more fluent in the gospel? How did, how did uh, who speaks a second language? How many, not, not too many, but a few. If you speak a second language, 
What's the best way to learn another language? Immersion. My son Trevor was educated kindergarten through fifth grade in a dual immersion in San Diego. 50% of his school day was in Spanish and 50% was in English. That's a great way to learn a language, right? Immersion. So how can we immerse ourselves in biblical truth? Friends, read your Bibles. I urge you. The truths of God, the truths of Jesus, the truths of the gospel, the character of God, it's in here. It's why God wants us to read our Bibles on our own. It's great to be here and to learn for half an hour a week as we study it together. But immerse yourself in God's word. He will change you. He will speak to you. You will be increasingly gospel fluent. And as we're increasingly gospel fluent, I think we have an also an opportunity to speak the truths of God into one another's life. What do I mean by this? If you were here with us last week, and if you are in one of our many uh, gospel community groups that are forming, and so many of you are part of these, there's over 130, 140 of you, probably about half of the people, of adults that come every week are in one of these groups discussing what we learn on Sunday, and we're thrilled about that. And we still have more room if you want to join one of those groups. But in these groups last week, we talked about this concept from gospel fluency called unbelief. That even as followers of Jesus, we are all unbelievers. And it kind of takes us aback at first, but we discussed it last week and we said, even if we're a true follower of Jesus, even if we've been changed, even if we've entrusted ourselves to Christ for salvation, there are areas in our lives where we are unbelievers, There are areas where we don't believe what God said, where we don't believe that Jesus' work on the cross is enough to save or enough to change me and help me. We have areas in our lives that we hold to our own control because of unbelief. What do we do when we find these areas in ourselves? And what do we do when we are interacting with Christians around us and we hear unbelief in their lives? We have an opportunity to Speak the truth of God into their lives. You know what comes more natural sometimes? Sometimes it comes more natural to, we we hear each other's stories, we hear what they're going through, we hear some struggle you're having, I hear my friends uh, even confesses to their sin. And you know what can come too easily is for us to just give good practical advice. Hey, when I went through that, um, this is how I felt, or this, you might try this. Hey, when I went through that, I think you should read this book. I found it really helpful. Hey, here's some, some practical wisdom, three steps to a happier parenting. Do we do this? I think we do. And not, not because we're trying to do something wrong, but we get together as Christians. We hear each other's pains and struggles and difficulties and suffering and sin, and we speak back Worldly wisdom, practical advice, try harder, it's okay, it'll all work out. What if we give them Jesus? What if we gather together as followers of Jesus and hear each other's stories and speak truths of the Bible into their unbelief? Are you with me? Last week in your your discussion group, you you should have talked about when we have these areas of unbelief, We ask the question, what's under that? What's the lie I'm believing? When I find an area of unbelief in my life, I'm I'm a lousy parent. God, I don't know how you 
gave me this, you know, this job. I'm, I'm awful. I'm failing. I'm terrible. There's unbelief that God can help me parent. What's the lie that I'm believing that makes me think that? That it's up to me. That parenting is on my own effort. That he's not working in my life. What's the lie that we then can speak to our own hearts, preach? Sometimes it's necessary to preach the gospel to yourself. Say, self, Jesus loves you. Self, he rescued you from sin and death and not because of anything you did to earn it. Remind yourself of the gospel. And then when people are in pain and struggling and sinning and in suffering around you and they're, and they're telling stories of, of, about what their needs are, let's not give them practical advice. Let's point them to Jesus. That's why we need to be more gospel fluent. And then another tool that we want to talk about briefly here is, is we want to ask God to help us have gospel ears. As we get around each other and we ha- are in these groups and we're learning to live life with other Christians and we're enjoying each other's company and we're hearing each other's story, can we ask God to give us gospel ears where we're really listening to what they're going through, where we're literally listening for what's underneath and behind it, where we really ask God for discernment into What's going on in there? Where is there an area of unbelief? What lie are they believing? And how God, by your spirit, through me, might they hear some gospel truth? Let's ask God to give us gospel ears. Listen for these two things in conversation. Listen for what people think is saving them or has saved them. When they're telling their stories of their life, of their week, of their significance, of where they get their meaning, of, of of what their life is all about. What little clues do you get about what has saved them or is saving them? Is it their work that's giving them significance? Is it a certain person's feedback that they're depending on? And then, so listen for who's saving them and listen for who's the the hero in their story. As you share life with each other and as you hear stories about each other's lives and as someone tells you how they're going about their life, who's the hero in the story? If I tell you about how hard I'm working and how I'm doing so great and how I'm making all this stuff happen, am I making myself the hero of the story? Or if I tell you my life story, Am I making Jesus the hero and knowing that everything I have is because of his work in my life? So listen as people share with you for what, they're, what they think saved them and who the hero in their story is. So as we study through the book of Galatians, we're saying the gospel changes everything. As we become gospel fluent, as the truths of God's word soak into our lives, as we immerse ourselves in his truth, the gospel changes everything. And it changes Peter and Paul, too, a couple of the leaders in this story. What do we know about Paul before he met Jesus? Persecutor. He was, before he was a follower of Jesus, he was very anti-Jesus. He was making sure to stop people from following Jesus. And has anybody read their Bible yet enough to know uh, if Peter is perfect or not? 
chuckle, chuckle. If you've had a chance to read about an early church leader, one of the early followers of Jesus named Peter, Peter is far from perfect. He puts his foot in his mouth, makes mistakes, is passionate and fumbles. But you know what? God's at work in their life. Listen to this. Galatians 2. Now we're back to your passage, verse 7. This is Paul writing again, remember. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted, I, Paul, had been entrusted with the good news of Jesus, of taking the good news of Jesus to the uncircumcised, to the non-Jewish people. Just as Peter, Peter had been entrusted as a messenger with the good news to the Jewish people. Verse 8. For God who worked through Peter for his ministry to the, to the Jewish Worked, God worked also in me for my ministry to the non-Jews. God is at work in Paul and Peter. He, they are, as they are following Jesus, they are becoming more like Jesus. The word sanctification just means that we become more like Jesus as we follow Jesus. So one of the ways that the gospel changes everything is that if you have become a follower of Jesus, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, if you have asked God to, to lead your life, by becoming a follower of Jesus, one thing that is happening, you, yes, you have been saved, past tense, you've crossed from death to life, but also what is happening in you is you are being saved, you are being sanctified, you are being transformed from the inside out, being made more like Jesus. And part of that, and that's what's going on in these guys, we just got this glimpse that God is at work in them, that God wants to change them, that God wants to use them. And how is he using them? He's using them to tell the good news of Jesus so that other people become followers of Jesus. So this is going to be true for you and I too, friends. The gospel changes everything. We are sanctified. We become more like Jesus as we follow Jesus. And we become disciple makers. Part of following Jesus, part of maturing and following Jesus is that God will work through us, in us, and through us so that other people will meet Jesus and begin following Jesus, who then they will help others follow Jesus, and etc., etc. This is what Christians do. Christians are disciple makers. It's not good enough as you grow and follow Jesus to just be a disciple. Disciples become disciple makers, disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And this is what Peter and Paul are doing as they spread the good news. And that's what reminds me of why we're studying the book of Galatians. Why would a room full of Christians, why would in a church where Christians gather, not, all, not everybody's a Christian that comes on Sunday morning, but where mostly Christians gather, why would we study a book about the gospel? Because the gospel is not just for non-believers, I think we've fooled ourselves sometimes to thinking that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that Jesus died for me and wants to rescue me, that that somehow is just news for beginners, that we only need to tell that to people that don't know Jesus. No, the gospel is for all of us as we continue to walk in God's grace and be transformed. The gospel is so much more than a get-out-of-hell-free card. The gospel is so much more than a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's new life. It's life rich and full and abundant and being made new so that we can live and serve for Jesus' glory. Let's look at our passage again, verse 9. <clears throat> and when James and Cephas, Peter, and John 
who seemed to be pillars, the leaders in the church, perceived the grace that was given to me, Paul. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. So there was agreement. There was unity. They were going to preach the same message. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only, they ask, remember the poor. And Paul says, that's the very thing I was eager to do. So it's interesting. We have this request here to meet for the, from the church leaders in Jerusalem to Paul and his friends. Hey, go ahead. Preach that gospel. Yep, we agree. That's the gospel. Let's preserve it. Go and share the good news of Jesus. And as you go, remember the poor, they said. And so it's interesting about this passage that we're studying here because not only is there that explicit command in verse 10, remember the poor, but I said earlier we'd talk about this whole reason that Paul and Barnabas and Titus are coming to Jerusalem. You know what they're doing? They're bringing money. They're, they've, they've, they've gathered a, a, an offering from Christians elsewhere and brought them to Jerusalem to these poor followers of Jesus that need care and help. So, so the, God's people have gathered together their resources and generously and sacrificially given of their money and sent it with Paul and Titus and Barnabas. And so really, they're in Jerusalem is, is a relief mission. They're bringing resources to help their fellow Christians. And so, not, so then in addition to that, they say, hey, as you continue to preach, remember the poor. And so that's, that's for you and I too then, as followers of Jesus. God has been so generous with us, church family. God has been so generous and loving toward us that part of following him is being generous in return. That everything we have is from God. That our energy and our time and our talents are from God and we can give those back for his glory. And that everything we have financially and resources are gifts from God that he's entrusted to us that we can give back to him. Here's a fun update um, of, a, of, a, of, a, of your generosity here in our church family. Uh, many of you know the special relationship that our church family has between a ministry called Mercy Childcare in Uganda. And Mercy Childcare is, is not, not only a ministry to help kids connect, get reconnected with families or find a new family, but Mercy has a church, a medical clinic, uh, and ways that they're serving single moms, and I, on and on. And this is, God has given us in the last several years this special relationship between this ministry in Uganda. We've sent people over there. Their pastors have been here with us. And uh, it's a blessing to uh, be a little part, uh, for our church family to be a little part of what God is doing uh, through the ministry of Mercy Childcare in Uganda. And so three years ago, I believe, we took a special offering, and you gave generously. And then over the next few months, we continued to gather money in this fund because Mercy, uh, the Ministry of Mercy needed a tractor, needed a practical tool, needed something to help with their day-to-day -day and give them a source of income. And so oh, we collected, our church family collected over $20,000. A tractor was purchased in, in, in England and refurbished. And then... Um, then it had to be shipped from England to Uganda. It took nine months for shipping to Uganda and to clear customs. Well, Faith Church, your generosity in the form of a brand new shiny tractor arrived in Uganda. Isn't that cool? It's a beautiful tractor and even more beautiful children on top of it, right? 
that are being benefited by um, your generosity to remember the poor. And um, uh, Louis helped me to understand that tractors are in high demand in Uganda. This is why we needed to pay, buy one. It's why we needed to ship one. Uh, it's, they don't, it's not easy to come by. They're in high demand. Not only is this going to help uh, their ministry increase their productivity in, in, in um, growing food, et cetera, but they'll be able to use the tractor to earn money as they do custom work for others uh, with the tractor. So your generosity, uh, increasing fruitfulness for the glory of Jesus in Uganda. And that's just one example of when we give generously as a church family, when we, from our riches, from our riches, no matter, as I look around the room, no matter where you are on the economic spectrum, we have been blessed in this country. We are rich in the, in the scope of the world. And as God has blessed us, as we give generously and cheerfully and, and, and uh, sacrificially back to God, this is one example of, of how we want our um, investment to make a different for, difference for Jesus. And so uh, we thank you for your generosity in that way. Um, and, and we also um, want to give an important family update. Uh, that we also, as a family, pull together financially uh, for our local ministry as well. We give generously so that we can do things like this on the other side of the world. Our budget also supports the ministry that happens here and the, and the things that go on in this building and our staff and, and our ministries that serve you. And so um, just want to make you aware as we're winding down in the year uh, that our giving is running a little behind our, uh, is running significantly, I won't sugarcoat it, behind our budget. Uh, we are spending responsibly, so we have not spent more than we are, uh, uh, than we are receiving. Um, but uh, it's a little puzzling to your leaders, so I'm just letting us know about it so that a church family can pull together. I'm not talking to you guests. If this is not your church, this is something that a church family does. And those of us that are committed to this church um, pull together financially. And uh, it's a little puzzling to us because in 2017, your generosity was, the giving was beyond our budget. It was gloriously uh, awesome and we were thankful. This year, our budget went up a small amount. And yet, um, we find our giving uh, running significantly behind. So uh, just making you aware of that as we trust God. And we ask him to provide all that we need. Uh, uh, and he does that through your generosity. So thankful for that. And we want to be generous. We want to give cheerfully and generously because we want our church family to fulfill the mission that he has called us to. Don't we? We are part of something way bigger than us. I think it's an amazing truth of following Jesus that, that God wants us to be part of what he's doing. That God, with all the resources and the time and the energy and the almighty power, that he, that he has a mission to the world to rescue a people for himself, and he wants you and I, followers of Jesus, to be part of his mission. And so as a church family, this is why we exist. We exist to fulfill the mission that, that God has called us to, and that's preserving the gospel preserving the good news of Jesus so that we will continue to benefit, so that we will continue to be changed, so that we can share that good news with others, and so that people around us will find that it's not about checklist religion, it's not about trying to earn your salvation, but freedom, real freedom, and new life is found in Jesus. That's the message that God has given us to spread. Do we want to do that? Let's do that together. Let me invite you to stand as we pray. 
and then we're going to worship through music. We're going to give our gifts. We're going to lift our prayers as we um, conclude our time of worship together this morning. Father God, we thank you so much that you are a great and awesome God. We thank you so much that you are also loving Father. We thank you, God, that you are not a distant God who is far from us and uncaring, but we praise you and we worship you because you are a God who has come near to us through Jesus. And we thank you that you are a God who has come near to us by sending your spirit to live within us. And so, God, this morning as we study through Galatians and we think about the truth of the gospel and we think about how we could be sucked back into the slavery of, of being under law and rules and religion to earn or to somehow be accepted by you, we thank you that that is false. We, we reject that false gospel and instead we thank you, God, for the truth, the glorious good news that our salvation, that being rescued by you, that being truly loved and accepted by you is a gift of your grace. Not that we earned, but that you gave through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We worship you, our great God. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for freedom. We thank you for new life. Father, would you continue to lead us out of slavery to law, to thinking we need to match up, to thinking we need to earn, to thinking that we need to behave for you to love us more. And would you instead lead us toward increased freedom where we, where we realize that our salvation is your gift. Father, we, we look to you, our heavenly Father, our loving Father. We look to you not as slaves who are having to obey rules and be, because of our guilt, 